Hello. Well, hello there, darling. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Hey, what's up? Hey. What's up? Hey. <laughs> hey. What's oh, up? My. oh my God. It's so fantastic. How you doing, baby? I'm very, very good. I'm so happy to see all your lovely faces. <laughs> it's been a while. Yes. It's been a while. Yeah. No, Unfortunately, we get to see each other too often. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this episode of Skin Things. I'm Skin, and over the past few months, I've had the pleasure of chatting to some of my favorite musicians, some mates from the industry, and some up-and-coming stars of music. On my radio show, on Absolute Radio, I only get to play a small portion of these chats, so Skin Things is a place where you can hear the full edition. And on this episode, there's just so many highlights to pick from. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to my mates from this next band. Uh, they were Vernon Reed on guitar, Corey Glover on vocals, Will Cahoon on drums, and Doug Wimbush on bass from Living Colour. Welcome to the show. Um, actually, hey, I... Is Doug there? Is the Doug getting on here? Yeah, Doug's there. Like, is he Doug's here. Like, oh, okay. I didn't know. <laughs> I, I Doug's laying in the cut. Hey, the cut. I can hear you, yeah. Okay. Okay, right. good. All right. Okay. I didn't know okay. you okay. Everybody checked in. This is the first. I have to say, this is the first time I'm interviewing a whole band together. And they did say to me, you know, maybe we should just interview two. And I said, yeah, but, you know, I can't choose because I can't choose because everyone individually are such titans in their own individual right, you know, that I can't really. I, it's one of those few times where I feel like, to interview a band, I have to interview the whole band, you know, because it's individually, you've you're just got your own things going on. So, listen, I'm just going to ask you this question. Basically, I have Vernon Reed on guitar. Hello, Vernon. Corey Glover on vocals. Will Cahoon on drums. Doug Wingbush on bass, of course. Um, do you know, as I said, I consider myself really lucky, I'm really lucky cow right now, because I get to interview all of them. Not one, but two, but all members of Living Colour. Um, guys, welcome to the show. How are you? Great, thanks. Oh, good. Good to You're great. It's fantastic you good? to see you, Skin. Yeah, yeah good, to good to see you. Ah, uh, thank you. Where, where, where are you? Are you in the same city? Or are you in different places around America? Or? Oh, on the yeah. East Coast. Kind of yeah, tri-state you know. area, sort of. Oh, yeah. tri-state area. Okay, cool. Nice. Unlike us. Um, I'm in New York, and the rest of the band are in the UK. So it's a bit, you a bit weird. I am. I'm in New York. Yeah. Are you? Are you in Brooklyn? I'm in Brooklyn. Okay. You know, how did I, how did I know, how did I know? Because <laughs> you know Brooklyn was a place to be. If BK, you're going to be in America. I felt, I felt total BK vibe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. You're in Brooklyn as well? Hmm? No, I'm, you, a, I'm in Shaolin. I'm, who's in, nobody's in Brooklyn. Everybody's no. from Brooklyn, but nobody lives in Brooklyn. Nobody can afford Brooklyn, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's no joke. That is no joke. <laughs> That is no joke. Are you lucky? Because I was coming around. Whoever was around, I was coming around. For, you know, can I have a cup of tea? A cup, cup of sugar? Um, but listen, so my first question is, um, how, um, how has it been for you? I mean, I've got to ask a lockdown question. How has it been for you in lockdown? How is it? I mean, I, I, I get the impression it's for good and bad. You know, there's been some awful things that have happened as well as um, maybe some silver linings. Are there any silver linings in this mess that we're in? Well... One thing I want to talk about is the fact that yesterday was the 28th anniversary of our third album, Stain. 
Wow. And, you know, and that's the first record that featured my, features our man Doug Wimbish on the yeah. bass. And it's the first a very, was my and I, yeah. yeah, and I and um and I listened to the album for the first time all the way through yesterday and I was kind of amazed at it. You know, because yeah. it really the feeling all of our records have their own individual vibes, but staying is a, is was a very special time period and so much of what we said back in the days is has so much resonance with what we're going through right now right yeah now. and and one of the other components of it is that we haven't had a chance to to play a lot but the one time we played recently we played in uh, pennsylvania uh, on a vote you know get out the vote thing you know um for head count and and it was very special. It was, you know, right before the election. So it was very important for us to participate in that situation. So, you know, as in a lot of ways, it's whack. You know, we don't get to tour. In fact, we just got a tour postponed. We had a thing we we're going to do uh, in in Brazil. Very big. It was a very big offer. Yeah. And, and we were about to do it. And we were going to have our friend Steve Vai as our special guest, you know, to, to jam with us. Amazing. And it was kind of like, the date was like September, and everybody said, oh, it was hoo-ha, and it's great. And all of us were like, yeah, that, mm, <laughs> you know, and it was, it was rah, 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 it's going to be great, da, 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 this, that, another thing, business class, da, 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 rah, rah, rah. And we were like, that's, mm. and of course, the inevitable message came down that we're not out of the woods. Yeah, we're not, not going to be yeah. out of the woods for, for especially for a for a rock and reel of, of, event. Yeah, think of that mag that magnitude. It's you know. I mean, it's it's crazy because I mean I've I've been in New York since literally I think in the March fourteenth I'm going to be here like a year apart from a little what? sojourn into. How do we yeah. not know? You been you been keeping well, no, I, I, I on say, the low, I just, like, you on the low, babe. Well, because I ain't going anywhere, you know, I mean, I don't want to get sick with these people, you know, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, taking care, I did go to, I did go to Spain, I have a house in Spain, I did go to England and Spain in the summer, so I did get a bit of sun and a bit of outdoor life, but for me, right now, it just feels like America's just, we, there was a fight going on here. I mean, it was fierce, you know, this whole Trumpism and this whole COVID, it was like, it was really heavy in New York before. I think I left in July for like two months, two, two and a half months. Um, and I feel like we're only now beginning to come out at the end of it. So it's, I, I know what you mean. It's just been like real, almost like war, almost like a, a political social media civil war. No, it's like, and some, and some respects a physical war, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's starting to happen is some of the truths are starting to, to me, come to the surface. Um, there, there are things about this country that people think are buried or they think are kind of, um, how can I put it, uh, resolved. Yeah. And I think when you, get, when you have something like a pandemic, you can't work. Um, for those that were working, they have children, they have to be home with them. You know, like your life gets really affected by your, your, your generic life, just your 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 day-to-day. -day. Uh, maybe having a nanny or not having a nanny, you know, not yeah. allowing your children to go to school, you can't go to work, uh, you can't get on a train, you can't get on a plane. I think the, the, the issues with this country come to the more of the forefront when you have a pandemic involved in it. And I think that's where the pressure 
was, yeah. was added to what's happening in this country when people just started to get shut out of things and they weren't allowed to do things anymore. Everything, crime, police, politics, election, everything gets a certain kind of a extra charge to it. So yeah. it's real what's happening, but I, I, I do believe the pandemic put a different set of eyes on it. Like, you, 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 you know, take, for example, the George Floyd scenario. You know, we've been yeah. looking at cops uh, kill uh, African-American men and women for years, actually. And I think that one of the, one of the main issues with, the, with, that, with that murder was most people were home to see it. Yeah. You know, the football game, the footy game wasn't on, and, and you couldn't just go look at a baseball game. Or you didn't just go, like, we were kind of shut down. So the media... And there were no distractions. Mm. Yeah, so there, there are people who are shocked by it, and they, and, you know, so the, I, I think what's, what's making America, in a way, even almost more violent now is the reality of, of where we are and, and what we're surrounded by and mm. what's influencing us and what we can and cannot do right now. There are a lot of things yeah. that, you know, Vernon mentioned the concert piece, but there's still a lot of things that we can't. And also, there isn't a real conversation about coming out of it. There really yeah. isn't, to me, to me, there really isn't a real conversation about closure, about planning. Everything seems to, we still kind of seem to be in this Las Vegas gambling hustle of just going from table to table to try out what's going to work here, what's going to work there. There isn't a real layout of how we're going to come out of this situation. Yeah. It, um, it feels to me like, well, it feels like we're really, and I say we, but it feels like America's really behind because you've had this this guy before that literally did nothing. And so there's a lot of catch up, catch up, catch up trying to, trying to happen at the same time as, you know, trying to get on with all the other things that have caused the George, you know, the George Floyd situation, which is something that's been going on for centuries, decades and centuries. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's heavy. <laughs> well, Skin, the it's thing, heavy. The thing, I'll, I'll yeah. the thing the thing about it is we're not discussing. Uh, I shouldn't say we're not, but the fallout is the reality part to me. It's like all yeah. of these things are happening, but it has a there's going to be a receipt <laughs> for it. Yeah. Yeah. The and the receipt when we look at the receipt and what it cost, uh, you know who's going to pay for that? And I think the fallout is really even small fallout in our business. You know, no music stores can't shop, shopping online stuff's closing oh. down, things that we were able to usually just, if you want to look at it on a smaller scale, even the things we were able to do now, we can't do anymore, we're doing differently. So yeah. the fallout, the fallout is, is, is something that I'm concerned with. Yeah, me too. I mean, in England, the, the amount of um, venues that are closing and also the level of, you know, the big corporations swooping in and buying all those small little venues and, yeah. um, and the way, you know, they're changing about how you buy tickets and all that kind of stuff. We don't know what's going to happen yet. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's, um, it's uh, well, you know, we just got to keep tabs on it and keep fighting, I guess, and just keep um, making people aware of what's going on, right? Correct. It's kind of funny, man. We're part of a continuum. You know, I think about Skunk and Nancy, I think about Living Color, and I think about bands like, I mean, the Isley Brothers, and think about Funkadelic, and you think about an album like America Eats Its Young, right? And you, you connect America Eats Its Young to Trayvon Martin. You know, that conversation yeah. is exactly yeah. the same. You think yeah. about Fight the Power, the first Fight the Power. Yeah, and 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 how that directly feeds into public enemies fight the power. I was thinking about your tune. You know, I've been listening. You know, I'm a fan, right? We know we were we're fans, right? So we actually yeah. here, right? exactly, yeah. You know, and and you have a song. Uh, you have you 
see, I'm gonna interrogate you about some. Shit. You know what <laughs> really? Okay. okay. Because because you you don't let him wag his finger at you. You do the don't thing. Let him <laughs> wag. I'm a, I'm a wag. I'm a wag. I'm a wag. No 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 no. I'm a wag though. Um, because you you be very cleverly be mixing up the personal and the political. You know what I mean on a on a real tip, right? And um, yeah, you have a song called Charity. Yeah. Don't want you charity, yeah. And charity is such a powerful tune. You know what I mean? Because it went, and then when I think about our song, Go Away. Yeah. And you have this first line, uh, why do I sense benevolence? You stand Mm. tall at my great expense. Yeah. I'm glad you caught that because I think a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people thought that was just kind of a love song, but I think it's the same thing that you do. It's kind of there is no way to separate the personal and the political. There is no way to just Absolutely. pretend that that I'm just going to write a love song and it's not going to have any consequence of that I'm black and gay and female and all these things. It's, it's, you know, there's going to be no intersectionality about it, and I think that's the same with you guys. Everything that we do, everything we're write, we're writing about, is from our own personal experience. So yes, there's always a double entendre. There's always a kind of, um, you know, why do you, as you say, those lyrics. And at the same time, it's like this idea of charity when it comes to black people has got a lot of hidden things about it. Like we're always perceived that these people that you know we need help, we need help. Actually, we no, we don't we need help. We need equality and the and the same chance as everybody else. And then we will help ourselves. You know, um, and so that was also the kind of thing behind that song. Um, and I, I know you guys do that too. I've, listen, I've got a lot of questions and I'm going to come back to some lyrics. Yeah, don't let Vernon turn this around on you. Don't let him do that. <laughs> he can turn it on every likes. This is Vernon Reed I'm talking to. <laughs> uh, maybe right. especially you. I know him. I've seen his dirty drawers. Shut up and let it go. <laughs> uh, uh, this is, listen, we're coming to you, Corey. Don't worry. I'm going to go back to some of the beginning stuff. And it's interesting that you mentioned that, that third album, Stain. Because for me, I know in our early days, it wasn't easy creating a rock band. You know, it wasn't easy being somebody who looks like us and says, we're going to do rock music. I mean, I think especially in England, you know, where we have such this rock tradition of, you know, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Zeppelin, all that kind of stuff. What was it um, like for you in those early days? Like, how did you get into being in a rock band together? Just for the people in the back that don't know. Well, it was an evolution. You know, I mean, the band, I started the band in 84. Yeah. So before that, I've been, I've been touring with a kind of revolutionary jazz musician, Ronald Shannon Jackson and his decoding society. And, and, uh, and he was kind of like, almost like a Miles Davis kind of figure in that his band became a kind of school. Yeah. You know? So there were so many great musicians that came through that band, Melvin Gibbs, Burn Nix, Carrie DeNigris, wow. Bain Massey, Henry, Henry Scott III, Jeff Lee Johnson, um, Dave Fusinski. Like, it literally was like a school. But, but, but I was in the first class, you know, the first graduating class. Right. And, and when it was time to break away, it was like with Miles Davis with, you know, all of these musicians, Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, wow. you know, Joe Zauno, Wayne Shorter, you know, all this tremendous group of musicians, Jack D. Jeanette, like, 
all these people. Crazy. So it was almost like a parallel type of thing. And one of the things is that Shannon was had such integrity about his music. He never, he never watered down what he was doing. And and Living Color wouldn't have existed. I wouldn't have had the framing to to do it if it was. Even though the music was totally different. See, the thing is, I was always into rock. I was discovering jazz. I was always into rock and funk. So it became a real interior fusion for me. And I never let go of anything yeah. I dug. So when yeah. I heard Led Zeppelin, that got into me. I heard Hendrix, that got into me. Then I heard Cornet Coleman and James Brown and Carlos yeah. Santana and all this stuff. And all it all became additive. And then the Sex Pistols and yeah. the Bad Brains. So it was never like, yo, I, oh, I'm, in, I'm not into that now. You know what I mean? It's just just a confusion. But all of these things, and we're also a generation of people, all of us, we were, you know, like everything from Cannonball, Adderley, to Mob Vishnu Orchestra, to Return to Forever, to Miles Davis, and all of that was, as well as Cool and the Gang, you know, when Cool and the Gang were funky. All of that was part of the crucible. Not to mention the beginnings of hip-hop. So all of that happened, and I met these fellas, and I went through all kinds of I'm all good into all of that. But we all like-minded group of, of people. And the thing about it, cultural from a cultural perspective, we never had to do the we're going to do rock was always our shit. like rock mm. is not it's just a natural thing life. that happened. From Chuck Berry to Jimi Hendrix to you mm. know everybody in between, you know, and it was, it was, it's Billy Preston and all of it. And Miles Davis did a song called Billy Preston and Sly and the yeah. Stone. All of that was a forge yeah. for our aesthetic, right? It's like, I'm the same age as Prince and Michael yeah. Jackson. And you could hear Prince, you know, being a genius, right? But you yeah. could hear that Prince was listening to Weather Report. You yeah. could hear it in his music. Yeah. And these are the things that were all part of our thing. So when people talk about Oh, you're doing a rock and roll band. I'm like, and it was yeah. never, there's no psychological disconnect or problem. Yeah. It the was just the, 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 other, the, the problems with the train people. that you were already on. Yeah. The train yeah. that you were already on. And, and so in, in that way, it, was, you, it wasn't like a decision to be all black. You just were. That's just right. how it all came together. Right. It's the, the parameters of blackness include all of it. Mm. So it's not a pro, it was never a problem. Like, oh, how could you be black and do this? This is, it's like, how can you, it's black. Yeah. So, you know, it was other cool. people's drama. Perspective. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a South African singer, Tandiso Mazwai, and uh, we were just talking about this whole thing. It's like, yeah, no, there are no black people in Africa because we only became black when we left Africa. You know, we were only black when we go to other countries, but in Africa, where there's no such thing. Everyone's just people. <laughs> and maybe it's like... The musical a, kind of yeah. similarity there. It's a, it's, but, a, it's a funny thing when you say that. I just want to say this because I've, I've spent a lot of time in Mali. You know, I lived there for a little while. And, and my, yeah. my friends, when they would pick me up, they used to laugh at me because I had the television set on with volume off all the time. And they would say, why, are you, why is your television set on? You don't understand Bambara and you don't understand French. And I, tell, and I told them, it's the first time I've ever looked at television and I can turn every channel and everyone looks like me. So I just leave it on just so I can enjoy <laughs> going the happiness. different channels. And so when you say something like that, it's a very interesting style. Perspective, of, right? Of, of, yeah, of how you, how, this, that was a small thing for them, but it was a big thing for me because I never experienced that. I've always been yeah. in Europe and in America, you turn the channel and see different people, you see actually less of us. 
And when I was in Bamako, you know, they, there were no white people that, that were on television, unless it was a, a movie or something, but the news and the yeah. politics stuff. And, and it was, it was a different, different perspective, yeah. It was, yeah, yeah it, was great, it was a beautiful thing to experience. Yeah, and my next question actually is for you, sliding nicely into that. Um, I remember the first time um, all of us band, all of my band's car came and saw you, and I think it was 95 or 2000, because I you know you had a five-year break around that time. Right, right. I, and I think it was earlier, so I think it must have been 94, 95, right, the early days. And I remember it was a really famous venue, which name I can't remember right now, but I remember we were shocked. We were like, what the f*** is this? Because the whole thing, the whole sound, as I said, individually or Titans. But the one thing I remember was the spider drum kit. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was like this creature and you had this thing and you played every single thing. There was no filler there. You know, what? I mean... And I don't know if it's, I think it's very hard for you to step out of that and, and because it's you to step out of that and see it from someone else's perspective. Because it was like everybody was good, the gear was good, the outfit was good, the clothes were good, and the sound was perfect. And, you know, I remember the sky glass is in, and we were like, we need to scrub up a bit because in other words it must have been in the early days because we were like if this is what we're up against because everyone's a little bit competitive right if this is what we're up against we need to scrub up a bit and uh and so i mean have you always been like a, a bit of a gear lunatic has that always been um are you kidding me <laughs> or is it just something that naturally came in you know what was that sound i mean you went to um you're an honors graduate right at berkeley yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I mean, how did that that sound and that monstrous kind of thing develop? Well, it's a combination of you know being in a band, you know, with two other gearhead great musicians. You know, Doug and Vernon have a lot of gear. I, I can't take all the credit for my gear. I must say, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I definitely got influenced by them as well. But one of the things with Vernon talking about kind of the vibe of the of the band. I mean, I always wanted to bring in the elements, the different elements, electronic percussion, African yeah. percussion, you know, really playing, you know, playing, you know, playing Led Zeppelin group, but also play adding some Max, some Max yeah. Roach, you know, um, one of my, one of my really, I, I call him a jazz Nazi, um, um, found out that in Go Away, there's a little bit of a feel that brings a song back in that is a straight Max Roach drum feel. Yeah. And he, when he called me mm. on it, I was like, damn, you know, <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> you know, for me, the the I'm, I'm thinking about it in a in kind of an, in a world way where I want to have access to electronics. I want to have there's a, there's also a really one of the really fun things about playing the music live is there is a serious improvisational side to our performance. Oh. Or he might just start singing something from Biggie. He might just start talking, you know, reading a poem or something. And sometimes in between songs, we have other kind of things happening. So really, for me, it's just having the access. The 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 the, the uh, jump kit is there. Yeah, you want to be able to go. Oh, I can do some electronic or a cheesy yeah. disco pattern, or you know, a hate movie. Yeah, I noticed that thing between Corey and the vocals. You know, like I know that you're kind of tripping in, and there's a lot of melodies kind of floating between what Corey's doing and what you're doing. Like you know, there's a little some some kind of answer repeat, and sometimes it's just it's it's almost a jump to tune. So he, with him, you know, he's going do 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 do, and you're going do do do. You know, yeah, um, yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Well, we have a we have a very good vibe on stage. Sometimes, a lot of times, I mean, as as a drummer, you just you you, you gotta li yeah. listen to the vocals. But Corey's 
Um, <clears throat> what's great, he's also very unpredictable. Yeah. So that's why I always <laughs> try to listen to what he's doing because sometimes he, he, you think he's going to go one way and then he'll turn around and look at me and let me know he's not going that way. Yeah, you know, there'll be so, on eye contact. <laughs> yeah, let's test it. Let's talk about this band in general. It's like, this is a band that actually, that can actually listen to each other and yeah. hear what the other one's doing and either, and build and or subtract from it. And, and for the sake of the song, you know? Yeah. I think the song, if the song needs to be powerful in a certain way, the drums take over. If it, if it needs to be, if it, if it needs to really sort of move the crowd it's a it's a bass heavy sort of thing but we listen to the we listen to that and try to listen to the crowd at the same time to see how we can how we can adjust and move forward and yeah you and in a band like this you have to be on your toes you have to be your ears have to stay open yeah for who knows what's going to happen who's going to play what what sound's going to come out of somebody's amp that you're not that you're not expecting you have to expect something's going to happen and once yeah. you do it's you have to roll with it are you like, are you like me? Are you a bit naughty or you just change things at last minute for the hell of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> naughty. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm just going, and I just go, oh, and, I go, and they're like, oh shit, she's, what you doing now? And they look at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> it's fun, right? I don't know why, because touring is repetition. It is. It's repetition. So, you, I mean, I like to do it just to, just to shake things up. Both bands have amazing bassists yes you know what i mean and i have a question for doug too Mm -hmm. (laughs) real talk we all have questions for doug we all have questions for doug i have a question watch it i've got a first i've got my question for for you corey um Mm -hmm. i mean first and foremost i thank god every day for that voice because it's got like you know the thing i love about your voice it's a proper rock voice loads of edge loads of grind especially when you do those long laconic notes you put that grind on the leaf i love that you know um i try and do that too but you do it better than me um but loads of kind of trilling and expression and never never overkill because you know some people they do all that trilling trilling and it just drives me crazy i just feel like you want to sing for the song but also the lyrics you write the lyrics right some of them, so yeah. it's, all, it's a collaborative effort, but we have, yeah. I have to believe in them in order to do them. Yeah, yeah exactly. To be able to, and, and at the same time, we talked about it in the beginning a little bit, but you know, you're also talking about really important stuff, you know, without doing that thing of like slapping people in the face with it, you know? And mm. I think that's the beauty of getting over a political idea or a political song or twisting it with a love song, but not like slapping people in the face, not that obvious shit that people do. Like Love Rears' Ugly Head um, was the most massive track in the UK. Of course you know this. Mm. But I just think it's, it always makes me smile. You know, Love Rears' Ugly Head is like, ah, oh, no, I'm in love again. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that always makes me kind of smile the way that you expressed it in that way. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, the, these these are these are Vernon's lyrics, um, uh, uh, but we all sort of experienced it. <laughs> these, this is, yeah. This is Vernon's life that we all lived through. Basically, what, what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but we've all experienced it. We've all gone through it in, in, in yeah. some way, shape, or form. And what's funny is it's like. It's like you're sitting with your with, with one of your mates and you're having some tea and you're talking. It's like, you know what happened to me today? I fell in love. That's what the <laughs> song. That, that's that's what that's the the approach to the song. It's like it's yeah. a matter of fact sort of conversation that you're slowly realizing. Oh, shit, 
I just got myself in something else again. Yeah. Here we go. And then you... And you I have to say, it's a, a very boy way to say it, by the way. <laughs> it's like, oh, dang. Got myself like, in love, <laughs> love again. But, but, but in the conversation that you're having with, 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 this, with the audiences, it's like, you know what happened to me today? Guess what happened to me today? Mm-hmm. I was walking down the street. The next thing I know, I'm kissing somebody. And I can't <laughs> stop. Yeah. Well, you know, love um, creep up. You know, love just creep up on you, right? Love creeps up on you, Vernon. It creeps up on you. <laughs> it's a moment, but love is a moment. Love is a moment. You think you're running things. You think you got it. You know, I know Will knows, but I'm, I'm not going to go there with him. <laughs> see, um, see, Doug has had experience. You know, it's that, like, um, that's why you, you know, don't just imagine, talk. just think that's about the Lennox. Just think about the Lennox Lounge. Think about the Lennox Lounge. You know how the Lennox Lounge paid his bill? See, stop, stop. The Lennox Lounge paid his bill for me, bro, sitting at the bar Vernon. talking about, you know Vernon. what? Vernon. <laughs> Oh my God! You guys killing me! You killing me! Um, get our asses in trouble talking this. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh dear. But Lennox Lounge, my ass. Stop. <laughs> okay. Listen, I know you guys are told with like Guns and Roses and Rolling Stones. So enough said. Enough said about love is <laughs> ugly head. Got that right. I've got a question for, for Will here, um, because, you know, Will, I have to tell you that the only time I see Cassie's eyes kind of glisten is when you or Bootsy Collins or a big bag of weed enters the room. <laughs> I mean, it's like you're the roots of the band. At the same time, you seem like the quiet but cheeky one. Are you the one that kind of keeps it all together at the same time? Quiet? You know, when these guys are being like all crazy, you're the you're one that's kind of... Suddenly, Doug? Suddenly, I'm talking about Doug. Suddenly oh. holding it together. Am I right or am I not right? I'm talking about Doug. Are you guys oh, like... Okay. Hey. <laughs> we all have our like, moments. <laughs> we, all, we all have our moments of activity and silence, but, you know, um, I guess as a bass player, you know, we, we kind of have to hold, our role is to hold it down. Yeah. You know? and, and that's key. And back to Kaz, Kaz Lewis is an, obviously is one of my dearest and oldest friends. I met Kaz when I first went to London in 1984. Yeah. So we're always mates and we were in the same circles, whether it was recording on at uh, Matrix Studios and yes. just hanging out, you know, and, and actually just for clarity, you know, it was 1993 when you saw the band, actually. Oh, um, okay, great. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a little, I'll tell you a little backstory of what was right. happening. You, I, I was actually trying to get you guys to open up for Living Color at that time. Oh, um, wow. When you came there in 1993, it was a little bit of an inside vibe going on to the point where we were rehearsing at a place, I think it was either at, um, Easy Hire, yeah. I believe. Was, right? it, was it John Henry? It wasn't John it was Henry? John Henry's or Easy That's what we were yeah. yeah. Yeah, Market Street, one of the places. So, and it was kind of like, and I had taken a shining to y'all because it cast a mate. And I was, and what we, basically what took place was, I was like, look, you know, why don't you guys book a rehearsal at the same time while Living Color's in the same place? So, it was a little bit of a, little bit of a, of a plan went down. So, Kaz, we're going to be rehearsing here. Why don't you guys book a rehearsal there as well? I could hopefully get some of the guys to come in and see your and see right. you guys perform. Because '93, we weren't even we weren't skin. We, were, we, no, were, st- we were Mama Wild. We were Mama Wild. Mama Wild. Right, Mama yeah, pre Skunkanensi, right? And I and I and I saw you guys perform already. So I was like, you guys would be great 
you know, and with Living Color having that platform, I thought it would have been great if we could actually start to just create an alliance, have like a handshake between, yeah. you know, what's going on in the States and those that are taking the shining of what's happening on, you know, in the UK. It, it, you know, it didn't work itself out, but it was a beginning. You know, it was kind of, you know, Will came in and saw you. If I remember right, yeah. Will actually popped in there and, and, and saw you. So that was kind of like a beginning. Back to the root of the question, as bass players, we have our role. It's important to be able to be that glue for the band. Yes. And also, this, you know, look, we'll, we'll sit in the back burner. You know, yeah. we ask the shape of the note. It's like my role is to make, is what can I do to make Will Calhoun sound better? Yeah. What can I do to make Vernon Reed sound better? What can I do to make Corey sound better? What can we, what can I do to help just sit back and create a sonic so that we can actually keep, keep the heartbeat going on? So it's like, we have that kind of role. Kaz and I have that handshake. Yeah. It's interesting because people would, when I was in the UK, people would come up to me and say, yo, what's up, Kaz? How you doing? Right? <laughs> they always, you know, kind of got us mixed up. But in, in a sense, seeing your band back, seeing the band back then, and the Kaz was always there, you know. Yes. And, and see him on his motorcycle hanging out, you know what I mean? We were mates. But I saw, I, I took the shining to y'all, and I knew that at that particular time, if living, when Living Color had the opportunity to actually see you, then it was going to change everything in a sense because we need to be able to have this camaraderie. We need to be able to have friends across the pond globally that, that create a family. Um, do you know what, Doug? You just reminded me something because there was a bit of a hole in Skankanansi history. And yeah. it was the fact that now it's... Because I remember, I think that's when I ended that band and started Skankanansi. Because I think that was around that. It was 93 was when we yes. ended that. I remember there was some big thing happened that I just thought, I just knew my band wasn't good enough. And there were a few things. And I think one of them was going to see you guys play. And I remember that Blue was an incredible guitarist, but you, you could never really be in a band with him because he would just always do his own thing. Like it wouldn't matter what anybody else in the band was doing, he would just solo, 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 so just show off, show off, show off, show off. And I remember there was an American record label that was interested in us. And I remember saying to Gas, Gas, I can't be in a band with Blue. And then I think after maybe it was around the same time we saw you guys play live, that that cemented that idea of like, this is what we should be. This is what a great band looks and feels and sounds like. And that's what I want Skunk and Nancy to be like. Um, and I think that might have been the, the nail in the coffin to, uh, for Mama Wild and then to start Skunk and Nancy. So it was interesting that you said what you were saying about that. Because I've always been thinking to myself, I remember there was a few, few things going on around that time. But yeah, obviously you have um, this reputation of, one of the best, being one of the best like, top five bass players in the world, right? Let's not be coy about it. Uh, I don't like bass like that. Which is why you can sit there and be modest and be humble and modest. So I'm going to say it for you, you know. And um, one of the things I want to tell everybody that, you know, I don't think people are kind of aware of how important um, Living Colour are in the, in the terms of legacy of rock music and the legacy of, of all kinds of different bands. I mean, Two Grammys, nominated for four, countless um, nominations for MTV Awards, toured with Guns N' Roses, toured with Rolling Stones, did SNL, um, Billboard Top 10, I think got to number six. I mean, you are a massive, massive band in a very short space of time, right? It seems like a yes. I mean, yes, yes. It does seem, yeah. it's, it's, it was a very interesting uh, ride during that time. I mean, they were a combination of things. Uh, um, 
actually Doug played some role in some of the things even before he got in the band. So yeah. um, it's it, interesting how things happen uh, between the Stones and Vernon actually auditioning for Mick Jagger's solo project and then Jagger coming to see the band at CB's. There were all of these things, you know, skin that played an important. C CBGB's alone, you know, the club owner yeah. and the venue and being able to have us. There were so many interesting things. Um, when I first met Vernon, when I returned from Boston, Vernon was doing some, was connected with a lot of the park, park events. So there were Black Rock Coalition events that were happening in Central Park yeah. and Prospect Park in Brooklyn. So then there was these other venues where other talent uh, was starting to be seen in a different way. At least it was for me. I was returning from New York. When I left, it was all my friends getting hip hop record deals. You know, and then when I came yeah. back, I ran into this situation of, oh, the BRC and there were other stuff that was starting to happen. So there were interesting things around, I think, that kind of pushed that along, but it almost made us kind of move in a, in a, in like in a chess game kind of movement. Yeah. We just went across the board between getting signed, CBGBs, and then getting signed, and Mick coming to see us, and uh, um, opening for the Stones, and there were kind of all of these things that really played out in, a, in an amazing way in a short, short amount of time. Sure, so, yeah, yeah. We had, and you know, we had really good people at the label, in all honesty. We had people that really believed in the band, and our promotional side was great. You know, Mike Kaplan signed the band. We had really good A&R people when we went on the road to do press out west or in Europe. You had really good agents that really pushed the band out there because it was really kind of a, a thing of, um, for, for some people still, as you mentioned, a little yeah. bit of shock and not wanting to really deal with some of the things that we were talking about or maybe really thought, I felt sometimes we were kind of a fly-by-night kind of a band. And then once they started to sit down and talk to us intellectually, it was like, oh, there's a history there. These guys have history. Yeah. These guys are connected to Hendrix. They're connected to Miles. They're connected to all of these other kinds, of, you know, uh, 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 Muddy Waters and all this other kind of things have to come into play. Even, so even as far back as Pure Hell. Remember that? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm. Yeah. And, we, you know, Bad Brains, we would be, you know, we yeah. went to see Bad Brains and we played with them. Fishbone and Living Color toured together as well. There's all these yeah. kind of beautiful, beautiful things. So it was an interesting time. But yeah. um, we were we were on the on the on the vibe of getting the the content across, and we had a few people sit us down. To you know, we had those those kind of auntie uncle sit downs with lovely people like uh, um, Little Richard, Wow, Mavis Mavis Staples. There were a few mm. people that pulled us aside to remind us of what we were doing and how important it was. Jagger did as well. Uh, Keith individually, we did. Charlie Watts always chats with me about the history of the band and what's, you know, whenever I go see the stone, he sits me down and it's like, well, you know, he has this kind of like chat about the band and, and, it's and it's importance. So we also had a lot of lovely people who did pull us aside to have a yeah. chat on a, remind on a reminder tip of, of what shoulders we're standing on and how important our, our role is. Yeah, I mean, we was we, we definitely stood on your shoulders in England. We were like, well, you know, there's Rage Against the Machine, there's Living Colour. You know, it can be done. <laughs> you know, it can be done. Um, even though, you know, definitely there were elements that were, were kind of trying to stop that. So listen, um, I know that um, I don't take up too much of your time. Um, I just loved talking to you. Um, I want to just to know what's next for Living Colour. What are you planning? What are you up to? Um, have you been writing in lockdown? How has that been? Have you been writing virtually? You know, started a process. You know, part of it is taking time. to. to we're in the middle of the situation and reacting to the situation while you're in the middle of it you could just come up with something that's like, hey, what up? You know what I mean? And we, we're not that, that's not our thing. 
You know what I mean? Like we want to come with something that's our take on it. That's what we managed to do so far. You know what I mean? Like to to I've heard a lot of kind of George Floyd type of songs that's made me cringe. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it's because it's they're very obvious. I mean, everybody's cliches, yeah. Play. And it's a bunch of of cliches, and that's something that I I don't I don't I, I can't hear us doing that. That's not that's not what we do. I can't and you know. So the idea of doing something that's like a common, obvious rabble rousing thing, mm-mm, no, you know what I mean. But definitely, you know, a process you know has started to to even address a little bit of that. You know, Corey and I started a little something we'll see where it goes you know yeah. and things like that but writing about when you're in the middle of the thing you know you you have to know what you're feeling unless you just react and then it's just like you're doing what everybody else does when they do a protest song or whatever and a lot of times those songs are wickedy whack to me yeah you know what I, mean? it's, I agree and it, you know i get it you know it's like one of those things when you become a little discerning about things that's why i appreciate your work and Skunk Announce's work so much, like your song Selling Jesus, you know what mm. I mean? I love that you, song. You just come at it. It's it's like the way you, you know, the weapon, all I want, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's it's nuanced. And that's something when we, you know, we did, you know, I see the starving Africans on TV, I feel that it's got nothing to do with me. And I send my $20 to Live Age to pay my guilty conscience to go away. Exactly, you know, yes. That's, yeah. That's all of us are doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the, I, that's the thing. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I I I 100% agree. I always feel about it that if you sit down and say I'm going to write a song about this, it's going to be. Shit. It's going to be awful. I mean, it has to come out of some idea that you had. Like, I mean. I always say to people that the most difficult songs to write are political songs because the minute you say to yourself you're going to write a political song, it's going to be awful. There's just so many cliches and it's been done. It's been done in the 70s. It's been done in a way that you can never do it. So I always say that it's the way, the way to do it is to find a personal thing that bothers you and, and, and actually make a point of not writing a political song about anything. They just come out when they come out. But if you make yourself, or, or you feel that because people say, so soon you know, are you going to write about Donald Trump? Are you gonna? I'm like, hell no. I'm not putting that man's name into one of my songs. You know, it's, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it. Um, but if something comes out, it comes out naturally, and I think it's authentic. But if it's just like, yeah, you know, we have to show that we're political by writing a song about what's oh going God. on. It's, 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 right. it's, 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 well, it's, that's not our job. That is not what we're here to do. We're here to be musicians what, and write songs. What's going on is the 50th anniversary of what's going on. Yeah. And the thing about, about what Marvin Gaye did, his brother Frank came back from the Vietnam War and he wasn't right. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what motivated Marvin Gaye to, to write that album. And the other thing too, Marvin Gaye was a, a star. And what's going on is a man on the street. He's actually literally asking, you know, he's going to the barbershop, well, what's happening? What's happening, brother? That's what, he actually exactly. was breaking, he was, he was letting go of his star status 100% in an authentic way. I was like, I'm a black man and what's going on with you? And that's why what's going on is classic. Not yeah. because it's a political, it's, it's because something happened in his family and it was some, and he saw the resonant of what was happening in the streets and he went to the street level and he didn't say, 
I'm going to the street level. He went to the street. He did it. He didn't say he was going to do it. Well, that's the part of it. It's like you have to personally know it has to be a part of you. It has to be so much a part of who and what you are for you to put that song across, for you to hear it. There's a human element to, to hearing a song like Selling Jesus and saying, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly where I was. That's exactly where I am, you know? And for us, you know, you know, we always get that sort of question, why are your songs so political? They're not political, they're personal. This is exactly. happening to us. You know, Funny Vibe isn't happening because funny because it's it's a funny sort of idea. It happens. People clutch their purse when they see me in an ele- when they, when, they, when they get in an elevator with me. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm not a threat. You know, but I feel threat. I feel threatened. Yeah. I feel threatening. That's personal. That's how I feel. And if I can't say that without some sort of conviction, no one's going to get it. Mm. Exactly. Well, well said. Well said. Well, listen. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Are you going on tour this year or next year? Probably next year, right? We just well, changed like after next year. I'd like to chime in real quick on that. I'm glad you segued into that because I would personally, and I know what would be good globally and for this planet, is imagine Living Color and Skunk and Nancy going on tour. What? Right? And see the whole thing it's about time. things in life is believing because sometimes you have the challenges of how somebody else might see something Mm -hmm. and the way that they want it to go down. But in order to get things done, you have to believe yourself and what's right. And if we come out of this period unified with one voice, then what we could possibly be able to do is make a change for the generation that's coming after us that has to go to school and post Trump being up, you know, be in this situation where like, okay, how, how do I, how, do, how are our kids going to navigate this? And I think we have a voice, we have a platform, it's time. That's yeah. my, I would love to see yeah. that happen. I, I would really love to see that happen too. Well, you know what, let's, let's start to make that happen. I was, weirdly, weirdly, I was um, listening to your music uh, over the last few days again, and I was just, God, imagine if you had a festival, it was like, Pure hell and mother's finest and funkadelic and bad brains and living color and skunk and antsy and you know and then some of those new bands as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that's yeah, you know, like a proper Afro punk festival, you know, like proper yeah, rock, you a know? proper <laughs> a proper one. A proper one. Well, it kind of got twisted. It went in a different direction, didn't it? You know, than, than well, what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, a good calling card. Again, if the two, if we're both out here and we represent both sides of the pond. We're doing it from the heart. It will resonate. Yeah. You know, you don't have to get all bunched up sometimes. It's just yeah. being with the in the room with the right people that are not giving you that hairy eyeball or giving <laughs> you the negative vibe. Put them to the side. We've always had a vibe. And yeah. that's yeah. the beauty of Positive. this connection. I think it's we should we should let's vibe. make that happen. Let's, let's make, make that happen. Skunk and see and living color. Well, can you imagine? Whoop. Yeah, there you exactly. go. <laughs> Can you imagine? Listen, guys, thank you so much for number one. I think that's the best conversation I've had for my show. Um, I just enjoyed every little second so much that we ran out of time. I had to come back. Um, it's a real 
honest to God, deep, deep pleasure to talk to what I think is one of the best bands in the world. And probably one of the most influential bands in the world um, to everybody, not just to black kids, just to absolutely anyone who plays rock music. So I want to thank you guys for being you and thank you for being there and influencing us. And for reminding me, that's why I ended, that's why I ended my yes, work. Yes, and Skunk yes. and Etsy came out of that. So yeah, um, thank you so much. And um, yeah, let's make that gig happen. That's going to be absolutely. Let's make, let's make yeah. a tour. Let's make a tour. <laughs> I love it. Hey, yo, let's let's go. Go. Give, give a big up to Ace from me. Oh, give I a, will give do. Give yes. a big up to Ace, to Ace from me, man. That's yeah. I love his playing and sounding. The combination of y'all is fantastic. Yeah. So when, it work, it, when it works, it works. We um, uh, and, and as you say, we had to go. It's 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 a bit of a thing to get there, but once we got Skunk and Nancy, it was there. It was fine. Um, but yeah, thank you guys. Um, I love seeing all right. you all, and I can't wait to right. see you again. We, and I hope we love you. We love. I you. hope it's as That's soon as we get out of this lockdown, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love you guys too. Okay, I'm gonna tell yeah. everyone I said that you said hi. Very right. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Thank you, Skunk. Fantastic. Thank Bye-bye. you, guys. It was so awesome to catch up with those guys again. Great to talk to, great musicians, and a great band too. Uh, you know what to do. Follow and rate Skin Tings and tune in to Absolute Radio on a Sunday night, 10 to 12, to hear me on the radio. Next time on Skin Tings, I talk to another music legend about their incredible career. Annie Lennox will be stopping by for a chat. Until then. Until then.